Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So this week on the podcast, I am joined once again by Alejandro Diago. How are things? Hi, Angelina. Everything is going well. Everything is going fine. Enjoying the sun. I'm ready for another women's football podcast. Yes, we have all been enjoying the sun here in Berlin. Um, and today I am also joined by filmmaker for Freelance Media, Ajani Palgray. How are things, AJ? Um, a bit wet and windy on my side. Um, I'm a bit jealous that you guys have got some sun over there, but things are going well and uh, there's a lot to talk about in the women's football space right now. There really is. Um, I mean, I feel like England had some good weather for a period, so I'm going to enjoy my 29 degrees. I'm not going to feel bad about it. Now, before we get into the podcast, we have to talk about the breaking news that Casey Stoney has resigned as Manchester United head coach. I can't quite get my head around this one. So she will step down as the head coach of Manchester United women's team at the end of the season after three years in the role following, obviously, the fourth place finish in the Women's Super League. Um, she has said, and I'll quote, um, it has been an honour to lead the women's team at this great club and this has been an incredibly tough decision. Having come on board to start the team from scratch, then winning the Women's Championship in our first season, we have now successfully established the team as a force in the Women's Super League and I have loved leading this group and I am proud of what we have achieved together. However, after a difficult season with disruption caused by the pandemic, I now feel the time is right to take some time away and for someone else to come in and lead the team on the next stage of its journey she then goes on to thank everybody um the manchester united executive vice chairman ed woodward has released a statement saying that the club are intensely proud of the women's team um they've invested considerable resource to make it a success and casey has been a driving force behind the success since she joined in 2018 calls her an inspiration, etc. Alejandro, what is your immediate reaction to this one? Uh, do you want to hear my, my, my hard answer? Whatever answer you want to give me, I'm ready for it. <laughs> no, 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 really. When I, when I hear about this, I was surprised. But even I was surprised after a fake account was saying Comunicado Oficial Casey Stoner, Casey Stoney, Sorry, and they were putting uh, this Real Madrid uh, logo and a link to Real Madrid website. <laughs> so you could imagine how was Arthur reacting and seeing this, but no, 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 no. Uh, from, uh, coming coming back to real world, I, I think this, this is a complete surprise for all for all of us. Uh, no one expected that a coach like her would leave Manchester United in, uh, such, with such a short notice. But now it, it opens a new period on Manchester United and let's see how the new the management uh, decides who, who is going to take care of the team now. Definitely. I mean, my immediate reaction, I was just, um, I was very surprised. Then with your Real Madrid story, I was even more surprised. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think shock really, um, because I mean, we'll talk about it in the podcast, but you know, it's not been a, a horrific season whatsoever. Yeah, I think people thought that they would get that Champions League spot, but and it hasn't happened. But by no means, I don't think it's, it's been a, a disappointing um, 
season, especially when you look at how far they've come. Um, now, obviously, for our listeners, AJ is still with us, but he's just stepped out. So this is why you're only hearing my voice and Alejandro's voice. But um, looking at some of the reports, The Guardian understands that the players were told about an hour before the announcement and that it took them completely by surprise. Alejandro, do you think this sounded like, this is what it sounds like to me, that she has maybe decided to walk? It's not because the club want her out because they didn't get Champions League football. Uh, really, I think that it was a personal decision and yeah. it was motivated for personal reasons, not for managerial or or, or, or club member decisions. Uh, really, it's, it has been surprising, but also I, 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 I should imagine how the players reacted to that because that your coach after the after the season is announcing, hey, I'm resigning, it should be shocking because you were expecting uh, the next season having her uh, starting to prepare the next the next campaign, and now this is a complete game changer for all Manchester United and also for a transfer window that it might be very interesting to see if the management fulfills the wishes of the new of the of the new future manager. Definitely, it will be so interesting to see what happens. Um, now. Stoney isn't the most experienced manager. I mean, this is her first major coaching role. I know she had some time at Chelsea, but as a fully-fledged, you know, sole manager, this is her first major role. Um, I kind of feel like maybe she believes that she has taken this team as far as she can, do you think? And maybe she feels like maybe the pressure's too much maybe she's kind of got this team to a certain point and she's like okay I'm happy with what I've done maybe it's for her career she can kind of tick this off the bucket list that in three years I got Manchester United to the Women's Super League they just missed out on a Champions League spot do you think that maybe you know looking at her career she's taken them as far as she can? Uh, we are talking about a manager that it, it's history of Man United because she's been the, the first ma uh, manager Man United has ever has mm. and it's going to be very and, it, and and the numbers they are going to be there and all what they have done for Man United is going to be so so important. Uh, of course, they have taken the team as far as she can, but uh, the th the feeling now after this uh, this this farewell, it stays like, what if uh, Casey has stayed one season more with Man United? Mm. What if she can she can have have have, have had a farewell with titles. What yeah. if that is the feeling now many many United fans as you should have? Definitely. I mean, like I say, it's not been a disappointing season. So I think it is a shame that we are not going to be able to see, you know, an, another season to see what what she could have brought after, you know, a season that's been really trying and I'm sure everybody's learned a lot. I would have liked to have seen how they use the lessons from this season for next. I mean it is understood, again, according to The Guardian, that tensions off the pitch have been building for a while and that training facilities were part of it. So training was moved from Lee Sports Village, so the Manchester United women's team, and I believe from the last time I was in Manchester a few months ago, the under-21s, the youth teams, they play a lot of their games at Lee Sports Village as well. The pitch is actually normally a rugby pitch, but neither here nor there, but the training was apparently moved from Lee Sports Village to Carrington, where the Manchester United men's first team play, um, train, sorry, in recent weeks after concerns were raised about injuries. 
but Stoney's squad had to fit around the men's schedule there, of course, something she always hoped to avoid, really, and it's not clear where training will be held next season. Now, Man United said that in 2018 that they would improve the facilities for the women's team at the cliff. This is where, again, young players train. Of course, it's where the likes of Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, etc. trained. The cliff is has a lot of significance to Manchester United. Um, it was the former men's team training ground, of course, but this hasn't happened. So they've not moved to the cliff. They've been at Lee Sports Village. It feels like something's been said about all of the injuries that they've been having. They've moved to Carrington, but they've kind of been treated like the second-class team fitting around the men. Is... If this is the case, allegedly, you know, is this just another example of how inequality, perhaps, regarding things like this, it does have a massive impact? Of course, really. Uh, the things like that, the mean, mean why uh, women's football should be uh, as uh, prof- uh, pro as far as soon as we can, because uh, that thing of the training ground uh, could be, uh, may- many people think that it has no importance, but it's uh, the opposite. Mm. Training a, a training ground, training on a training ground that is not a proper training ground, a decent training ground can any end on injuries, can end on, on problems, and can end on bad performances uh, during the du- during the, the, the season. Mm. So we are, we are, we have seen in ba- in Barcelona, a Barca team they train in the in the same training ground as Barca as Barca men. They train in San Juan de Spi, that is the the new the new the new La Masia. In Real Madrid, they didn't they they prepared them for to train from the first minute in Valdebebas in mm. the academy of Real Madrid, so they can have the same facilities as the men's team. And that is a that is a fact that if you give your players better uh, places to train, uh, they will perform much better. One hundred percent. And if this is true, you know. Very disappointing from my club, I'll be honest. Um, of course, United will be looking to nail down a new manager as soon as possible. I'm being hopeful. I'm having to take this as I'm gutted. I don't quite understand what's happened, but fair enough. You have to accept it is what it is. It w- It is a shame that we're not going to see one more season, but I am trying to take this as maybe we will have... Um, and no disrespect to Katie Stoney at all because I think she's been absolutely phenomenal for Manchester United but maybe a manager with a little bit more experience in those games like Champions League games that can take us to that next level and knows that feeling of what it is to play in those kind of games and taste that success Um, do you think that they maybe could give uh, Jean-Luc Vasseur a call obviously he has recently been let go from Lyon He'd surely be a perfect candidate for a club like Manchester United, providing he can speak English. Um, as much as I've been searching online to try and figure this out, I've not quite got the answer just yet. But what do you reckon? Uh, yeah, Jean-Luc Basser can be a very uh, a very important replacement, can be a good replacement for Man United if then the management decides to give him the job of, uh, of taking care of women's team. But there are also many other names that they can be very interesting, not only Jean-Luc Basser, but also, for example, many many foreign coaches that they can be that they can take on the team of Man United and and succeed because you are saying that uh, the, the the perfect candidate provi- providing he speaks English. I think that even if the candidate doesn't speak a proper True. English, they, uh, they, it doesn't mind because 
the the only language it uh, it is important to speak in in a football in a in a football competition in a football season is how many wins do you get? Very true, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and for example, uh, uh, Jean-Luc Vasseur, she he speaks English, okay, but also there are many other many other names that they can uh, they can replace uh, the new coach of Manchester United. Definitely, I think this one. Um, I think it will be really important and really exciting to see who Manchester United pick. I think it will, it will be a real statement of intent as to who they actually pick because if they, if you know, I think it's. I just feel like it's going to be really interesting because if they do go for a, a coach like Vasseur or a play, a coach, even not player, a coach with those kind of accolades under their belt, I think it really is a great powerful statement of intent that this is what Manchester United wants to aspire to be but at the same time if it's a coach that maybe doesn't have all of those accolades but really does have that passion um, and is a good solid coach then I think that can work also as well but um, it's great to talk about it and I'm nervous but I'm also excited um, and I mean this isn't the only piece of football news of course there is more that we're going to talk about on the podcast and it is official. Chelsea have won the Women's Super League, amazing achievement. Alejandro it was a well-deserved victory wasn't it? I mean they have been the best team this season. Really with no discussion Chelsea deserves this title. They have been the best team from the first match day until now they are now in the final of Women's Champions League, trying to round up a perfect season. And really, I see the only team uh, that can that can get a title, the, the, the Champions League, uh, along with Barca this year, it's Chelsea. That is the thing. I, I agree with you, definitely. Um, I mean, after um, rebuilding after that 2017-18 season, you know, with Chelsea, there were the departures of Katie Chapman, Enia Luco, Gemma Davison, etc. The clear out that Emma Hayes did was pretty big. And in the 2018-19 season, they were trophyless. The following season, they were back on top winning the double. Then there was the, the recruitment, of course, of Sam Kerr, Peniel Harder, and Catherine Berger, etc. AJ, is this the perfect example of a rebuild gone well? In one simple answer, yes. Um, but to go into more detail, uh, Sophie Ingle was also bought in 2018. Um, and now she's an integral part of the back-to-back titles um, for Chelsea in the WSL. Um, so I feel like it's important to note that with the coach they had as well, Emma Hayes, um, she's getting her well-deserved flowers right now, but she's an absolute powerhouse of a coach. Um, and the culture that she's instilled into Chelsea, the winning mentality um, and the ruthlessness, as well as having... Um, a really good squad, really competitive squad, having homegrown players like um, Drew Spence and Hannah Blundell, who don't play every week, but are still important uh, team members as well. And then, as you said, um, she's added the cutting edge with the likes of Sam Kerr and Peniel Harder. So this is a very good template for anyone who's looking to you to create a, a great team. Chelsea ladies, uh, the Chelsea team is fantastic. 
it it really really is it's absolutely amazing I mean um I really feel like Manchester United's men's team should be taking a look at how a rebuild is done just saying um I mean Sam Kerr of course won the golden boot Alejandro what do you make of her this season I mean this is such a big achievement for her right she kind of said it in her speech that this golden boot means so much uh, really, we are talking about the best striker in the world at the moment. We are talking maybe the, the, the player that has more easy to score goals and a player that uh, Chelsea must retain whatever it takes because it's the, uh, we, are, we are talking about, a lot about Pernille Harder. That is very good. She's wonderful uh, on, 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 the, on the midfield. But uh, when it comes to attack, the name is only one, and it's Sam Kerr. And I think uh, Chelsea should try to keep him and spend whatever they take to to pay this star. Mm, I I agree. I mean, she's definitely up there. Like you say, if if not, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, one of the biggest footballers in the world right now. Um, I mean, divulging from Chelsea slightly. I've got to mention my team, Manchester United. Um, despite the win over Everton, they were unable to get that Champions League spot from Arsenal after previous slip-ups in their season. AJ, can they still look at this season with positivity? Um, absolutely. Um, I think it's worth knowing it's still only their second season in the WSL. So to f- finish fourth, just a point off Champions League football, um, is a definitely a massive positive. Um, obviously, it's well documented. United had a lot of injuries to key players. Um, Alessio Russo only played four games in the WSL, but still scored three goals. Um, and Tobin Heath was very, um, very prominent in the Man United side when she was available, scoring four goals in eight games as well. And if those two players had more game time with the likes of Lauren, Lauren James and Ella Toon, um, I feel like. Man United may have um, reached the Champions League, but there's definitely loads of positives to take from this season. Okay, I'll try my best to to be feeling positive, even though we're not in the Champions League, but it's fine. It is what it is. Um, I mean, meanwhile, obviously, Arsenal, who are in the Champions League uh, next season, they um, have been dealt a bit of a blow. I mean, not only, obviously, are they losing their manager, but the news that Jill Wood is leaving the Women's Super League um, to join German side Wolfsburg. Alejandra, were you surprised by the news of her leaving? And do you think anybody could even possibly replace her? Is that even doable? Uh, it was a surprise, but uh, coming from Wolfsburg, it doesn't make sounds to me strange because uh, Wolfsburg is trying to rebuild the team. Uh, they are trying to make the same steps as Chelsea did uh, some years ago, rebuilding a, a winning team, rebuilding a team that can uh, reign in Europe. And one step, they they are trying to sign a a wonderful player, a key player like uh, Jill Roark. So it, it's not a strength for me. And a replacement, oof, that's very complicated for Arsenal because let's see how, how they deal in the future because it's, yeah, they, they are going to lose a very important player, a very, a very key, play, uh, uh, key player for them. So they will have to do a, a long, long uh, work on recruiting a new player. 
definitely it's not going to be an easy replacement whatsoever. Um, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before a couple of times, but wanted to get your thoughts as well, AJ. Um, what do Arsenal need to do or what do they need in order to ensure that next season with this European football and the league, etc., in order to make sure it's the, it is it's as successful as possible, what do they need? I think the the main thing they need is to sort out who's going to be in charge of the side next season. Mm. Um, there's been talks of different managers coming in. I know Joe Ennis, the former US coach, the women's team coach, is um, being touted. I think that's quite a quite a long shot considering the space that Arsenal's in right now. Um, there's a bit in the air. There's also um, Ludlow, the ex Wells coach as well. She's been mentioned in there as well as Laura, Laura Harvey could potentially come back to Arsenal and be in charge there again. So I feel like that's the main issue for them to sort out first and foremost. And then, as um, yourself and Alejandro mentioned, um, replacing Joe Rudd, there's a there's been talks of Ibawuchi from Aston Villa coming in um, and being a replacement. Whether that happens is still remains to be seen, but I think those are the two main things that need to happen first, the manager and replacing someone like Joe Rod. I, I definitely agree with that one. I mean, looking at the Women's Super League, looking at, you know, the other part of the table, um, I know I've said on the podcast before, I always feel really bad when people get relegated. I don't know why, but I just feel really sad, um, even though I have no affiliation uh, with Bristol City, but it was Bristol City that went down. Birmingham City and Aston Villa did of course survive now with Aston Villa um, Marcus Bigneau has left his role at the club he was given the job as interim manager in January coach Gemma Davis who was in charge before his arrival and assistant Jenny Sugarman they've all left the club big statement Alejandro what is next for Aston Villa because they have got a lot of things to sort out haven't they uh, they need to rebuild a team. They, it was the, the first season on, on the Women's Super League can be a season to stabilize the team on the, on, the, on the elite. But now they need to think on try to make a, a, a competitive team and try to reach for European positions in, in the next season because Aston Villa, they, uh, if you see the roster and player by player, they have talented players and they have talented uh, uh, strikers and and midfielders to perform very good games. Something we didn't see on this season, but I think it's because uh, they need to uh, they needed to adapt to this uh, women's super league. I don't know what how do you how do you agree on this, but I think this will be the decision of rebuilding for Aston Villa women. And about the coach, there will be some pretty nice options outside uh, outside and. and there will be some coaches that they can be, they can fit very well in the in the in the woman in in the in the bench of Aston Villa woman. For example, I'm thinking now uh, I see Juan Carlos Amoros, mm. one of the of the, co- the Spanish coaches. Sorry, I'm talking about the Spanish coaches that I'm defending to my my land. I'm <laughs> chauvinist in this side, but I think he has enough enough experience in 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 England. So he can take the events like like Aston Villa and and deal with this. So let's see how the, how do the, how does he end with Betis this season, and let's see if the next season we can see him back in England. 
Well, there you go. Listeners, keep your eyes peeled for that one because you, you could be onto something there. Um, and No, this is, not a, this is not a rumor. This is a desire, I would like to oh, say. Oh, a desire. Okay. Well, you never know. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. who knows? It could happen. I mean, let's all just, you know, keep watching. You never know. Um, dreams do come true. Um, now, there has been a Women's Super League team of the season. Um, it's kind of been put together through analytics, statistics, etc. I'll just read the team out quickly. Um, goalkeeper was Mackenzie Arnold, obviously from West Ham. Um, your defenders, you've got Katie McCabe, Millie Turner, Steph Horton, Lucy Bronze. In midfield, of course, Jill Rudd, Caroline Wirt, um, Ella Toon from Manchester United. And then three forwards, we've got Frank Kirby, uh, Vivian Miedema and Chloe Kelly. Um, I'll start with you, AJ. Are there any changes that you would make to that or are you pretty happy with that one? I mean, obviously, Sam Kerr's not in it, um, but any changes? Um. To be fair, the squad is really strong. Um, I did have one honourable mention, not to say she should replace anyone in the team, but um, I feel like she deserves to be mentioned alongside those players. It was um, Maya Letizia at, at Brighton. Mm. She's only just turned 19 in April um, and she's been a guaranteed starter for Hope Powell's side. So I thought she'd been very solid in defence all season as well. Um, so it was just someone who I thought deserve to be mentioned alongside those players but not necessarily had to be in there yeah that I agree definitely I think that's a really good name to bring in the mix um I mean I guess my Man United bias it would have been nice to have seen Lauren James in there maybe I'm sure not maybe I'm sure we will do in the future but again not necessarily like I'd switch anybody out um Alejandro are you happy with that um 11? I, I miss especially one name Sam Kerr yeah. Can you explain me why the top scorer in the Women's Super League is not on the on the Super League team of the season? Because it's a bit strange, to be honest, uh, that a, a player that has scored 21, uh, 20, 22 goals in twenty one games and she's not in the in the in the top eleven in the in the in the team of the season. I mean, it's a bit strange. Another personal uh, change I'll do. That is very personal, and I and I and I think you like it, Angelina. Okay. I will put Ona Batle instead of Ella Toon. Yes. <laughs> that that is a bit a bit personal. I don't know if AJ is, uh, agrees with that or or not. I mean, I I'll I'll go with there, it. Hundred percent. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I'm I'm happy to go with it. There are no complaints from me whatsoever. Yeah, they, because really, we uh, I, I, I have liked it was the first season of Ona Battle outside Spain and it has been a very good season for her. And and I hope let's see, let's see if she continues doing that in the next season with Man United. 100%. I've got my fingers crossed. Um, departing now from the Women's Super League, um, alongside Chelsea, of course, winning the league, uh, their Champions League rivals, Barcelona... Um, they also won their league in Spain. AJ, are these teams the best two teams in Europe right now? Absolutely. Um, I'm gonna. I don't know if it's considered a hot take, but I think Barcelona is the best team in Europe right now. Okay. Um, the stats speak for themselves: twenty-six wins in twenty-six games, a hundred percent record. That is only 
conceding five goals and having 128 goals scored. Um, they're in a hot run of form. Um, I can't see how Chelsea's defence can cope with Barcelona's attack. Mm. It's, um, it's going to be an interesting final. I don't want to jinx anything and say who I think is going to win. But I definitely feel like these are the best two teams in Europe, to answer your question, 100%. Okay, playing your cards close to your chest. I'll allow it. I normally force people to give me predictions. But, you know, it's a Champions League final. We can make exceptions. Um, I mean, you touched on the numbers there. You know, like you said, 26 games, 26 wins, 128 goals scored, five conceded, six points clear with eight matches left. Um the gap at the top of the table could even be extended, um, you know, once the season wraps up. It's the first time since the 2014-15 season that the club has successfully defended back-to-back league titles. Alejandro, how big is this win for Barcelona? And also, it's good to get your thoughts as well on the Champions League final. Uh, really, that is the first step before the biggest goal of the season for Barcelona, this Champions League final. Uh, it's, uh, they, they have been working for this. They didn't have any rival in La Liga because no team was had the ability to face them more than 20 minutes in every game because uh, after 20 minutes, most, mo- most of the games, they were done for Barcelona. And really, uh, I, I'm very painful to say this, but they have been so, so good. And I think probably they will they have they will win the Champions League title because I don't see I don't see Chelsea even if they have very good players they have very good team also Chelsea but uh, Barca is now the way they play the way the way the the automatisms they have inside the game it's so the the gap is so huge along with Chelsea that I think Barca is going to sweep, is going to win. Their, their first Champions League title. I mean, it's it's one of those, isn't it? I feel like my my heart would really love to see Chelsea lift the title and get that, you know, potentially get that quadruple because I just think it would be an amazing piece of history in the sport. But you cannot ignore Barcelona. And I feel like some people, I'm not going to say people are sleeping on Barcelona, but I think people have been sleeping on them at times in that just what this club is capable of doing. And I think now we're getting towards the end of the season and people are looking at these numbers and they're thinking, wow, actually, they're really good. And I feel and, like and, they may surprise and, some people. And a very important thing that it, it makes Barca, this team, this is making this team of Barca a winning machine, is that they are a team that they are a traditional to the Barca roots. Mm. They are trusting in the in the in the academy. They are having their own uh, a, a style of playing. They are going through the, through this plan, and they don't mind about anything. That is a thing Barca men need to learn and see about <laughs> because but because Barca women are co- are coping step by step what uh, Pep Guardiola did and in eleven years ago. Hmm. I I completely agree. I think the men's team definitely needs to take some notes. <laughs> um, is especially after you know some of their recent games. I would say definitely take some notes. Um, AJ, who has been uh, their star player for you personally? I mean, there's been so many. I mean, you could probably argue every single player on the pitch is a star, but who's been your personal star? It's really funny you said that because I was I could say the whole eleven. Mm. Um, 
has been the star players. But for me personally, Jennifer Hermoso, mm. she is absolutely wonderful. Um, the way she plays football, not just her her goals and what it means to the team, just how she plays as well. Um, that would be my personal star player, 100%. And I, I couldn't disagree with you on that one. Um, one thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, Alejandro, I did mention it on last week's podcast, but Luis Cortez, um, he has signed an extension with the team only for one year. But what do you make of this? It's completely deserved. Luis Cortez has, has shown that he's a coach that likes to work on silence, work on silence, and when it comes the time, show the capacity. And that is the way he has shown that he is the ideal coach for Barca now, and he's the ideal coach to to win the first Champions League for them. I, I completely agree. What do you think about it only being one year? Should Barcelona fans be a little bit worried about next year that he could depart, or do you think there's nothing to worry about? I think there is nothing to worry about because I think Luis Cortes he prefers to go year year by year yeah. and see and see how the team how the team goes. That I think when this Barca doesn't start to to be as he likes to be, he will be the first to say, "Sorry, yeah. I quit." Mm, fair enough. Then I guess I guess it's a you're right. I guess it's a good idea to go year by year, assess things and see how you feel, etc. Because you, you never know what can happen. Um, looking at Barcelona, AJ, do you think that we might see Barca take the foot off their gas a little and maybe relax in the league? Or, let's be honest, are they just going to be desperate to finish the league undefeated? I feel like, considering the goal-scoring prowess of the team already... Um, I think they're just going to continue to see how far they can go. Um, I can't see them or the coach allowing them to be uh, complacent with anything. Um, I feel like they're just going to keep building on what they've already uh, set for the season. Um, and we'll just have to rewrite the record books for them when they're finished. Yeah, it's absolutely. When you look at those numbers, it is insane. Um, I mean, it does seem, Alejandro, like Real Madrid are home and dry on 61 points they're they're definitely going to be in the Champions League next season I think anyway um if you could buy one player right now to help increase your chances of success next season who would it be and why and how are you feeling about having Champions League football uh, really Champions League football is the habitat of Real Madrid that yeah. is the that is uh, we, we don't need to celebrate qualifying for Champions League football <laughs> because no, uh, we know uh, that you don't like to to uh, celebrate things unless you've won a trophy. We we I remember that from the other week you yeah, telling us. <laughs> yeah, but really, you tell me to buy what, only one player because only one because I, I as I was saying that Barca uh, has copied the model of Guardiola to win and 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 be successful. I think Real Madrid should copy the model of Galacticos to win mm. and be successful. So it wouldn't be only one player. But if you tell me to pick only one. I will say some care. Yeah, uh, some care because uh, now uh, we are there are the rumors that they say Sofia Jacobson is a pro, uh, she will probably leave to Olympique Lyonnais. Uh, let's see how uh, until the end and how this solves until the end of the season. But Real Madrid, see, they will need a striker, and nowadays some care is the top striker in 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 in, in women's football. So 
I, I, I would like to see some car dress on, on, on white and with the number nine behind well, you know what? It's it, it's another one of Alejandro's dreams today on the podcast, and hopefully this one will come true as well for you. You, to, um, you told me you told me if I if I could yeah. buy one player right now to to, <laughs> to help increase my chances of success next season, and I give you an answer. Yeah, that's you know what? That's a good answer, and I feel like we probably all would go with that answer. So I I completely accept the answer and. You never know. You never, never know. It could happen one day. Um, and surely that will be something that you would celebrate, even though it's not a trophy. It's an amazing player. You'd be allowed to celebrate that, right? Yeah, of course. Really. Yeah, okay, uh, just checking. <laughs> having, ha having the best players on Real Madrid is always a, a reason to celebrate. Good, I, I like that. Um, now, heading away from Spain now, it was another big win in Italy for Juventus. It was a massive weekend, really. Uh, they became Serie A champions with two games to go. AJ, despite their arguably dismal display in the Champions League, has this been a good season for Juventus? Um, if you look at the way they've won the league, on, they haven't lost or drawn any games, so a 100% record in, in their league as well. Um, I think you can take positives from it and, look, and when you look back on the season, you can be happy with the league performance, um, but their performance in the Champions League, um, they need to use as motivation for next season because mm. that would be disappointing to them. Um, hopefully they can go again with the players they already have, um, but if they do lose some of their key players, it's just a matter of rebuilding the squad in order to progress further in the Champions League next season. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking at the game that won them the league, it was a 2-0 win. Um, of course, Italian forwards, uh, Cristiano Guerrelli and Barbara Bonansea, it was their goals that sealed the win. Um, Alejandro, Bonansea has been rumoured with a move away, especially we touched on it last week uh, on the podcast, with this reported, you know, working with Mino Raiola, etc. Yeah. Um, Laura Guiliani has also, um, you know, been linked with a move away. Which player do you think, and I feel like also Guerrelli, although there's not been rumours, you know, she's such a star player. Which one do you think is more vital for them to keep hold of? And what do you make of all of these transfers? I think Barbara Boransea, she's the one that Juventus should keep if they, if they want to aspire to, to have uh, bigger chances to get to to make a decent Champions League campaign. We are talking about probably Bonansea. She's the best Italian player in at the moment, and she needs to be playing in the best Italian team as Juventus if she wants to be uh, successful in Champions League with with La, with Vecchia Signora. So, for my side, even if I I love Girelli, Girelli, she deserves everything because she's one a wonderful player also, and even Laura Giuliani is also very good. I'll keep Bonansea. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd probably agree with you on that one. Um, hopefully they can come to some kind of agreement as obviously there are reports that she's in Raiola fashion not agreeing to sign anything. Um, hopefully they'll be able to figure that out. Um, the, the, now let's see how, how Mino works because mm. we know that summers with Mino, they are very funny. Yes, <laughs> that's one word for it. Um, now, Ronaldo celebrated the victory via social media. Um, 
AJ, how important do you feel that it is um, that we see big figures in the men's game doing things like this? Oh, it's absolutely massive. Um, a player like Ronaldo as well, probably the biggest player in the world in terms of from a social media presence. Mm. Um, for him to support that and push that forward, um, not only brings positive attention to the women's team, it also, or the naysayers and stuff who kind of dismiss women's football, mm. if they see their biggest icon celebrating this, then it kind of changes the opinion of, oh, okay, maybe maybe women's football is something to get behind. So if there's a continuance of this kind of uh, uh, promotion of women's football and uh, backing teams from the men's players, um, it's only a positive in my eyes. I agree. I think it's so important that we see things like this. Um, and I think there was something that Roman Abramovich had spoken behind closed doors to the Chelsea women's team. It's like, we'd have to do everything behind closed doors. Like, why are we not, you know, discussing it out in the open? Um, so I, I agree. Um, it's definitely something something positive for the sport. Um, looking at Syria, uh, Lazio have been promoted to Syria. So, their goal at the start of the season seemed pretty clear. They wanted to achieve promotion to that top flight. It's been achieved with only one defeat occurring all season. A great achievement from them. Alejandro, are you looking forward to seeing them in the league? Of course, really having teams, historical teams like as Lazio in also in women's football, it's a good reason to to watch to watch women's football and and um, and a, another reason to ask Lotito, that is the president for Lazio to invest and put more money on women's team because nowadays women's football business is is going to grow so fast and if Lazio wants to be on top of the business they should invest money so I think Lotito we will see that he will put also some 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 investments to make the team more competitive. Most definitely and I'm I'm excited to see what they're going to bring uh, to the league Looking at something else that's, um, I think, quite exciting anyway, uh, global sports company Puma, Puma, whatever you're calling them, um, have today unveiled the new, uh, not today, yesterday, sorry, uh, the new AC Milan 2021-22 home kit to be worn by the women's, men's and youth teams. For the first time in Serie A history, a women's team will debut a club's home shirt on the pitch when the women's team take on Sassuolo in their penultimate Serie A fixture at the weekend. The men's team will then follow on May 16th um, in their home game at the San Siro. AJ, how important, again, you know, like we've just talked about the Ronaldo situation, how important are moments like this as well to be making Serie A history? Again, it's just nothing but positive as it's changing the narrative of women's football, like, doing gestures, not gestures, but doing something like this by a big corporation, big brand like Puma, just goes to show that women's football is on the same level as men's. Like, there is no difference just because of genders or anything like that. It's just a very positive place. When sport wins, at the end of the day, um, AC Milan women's get to promote the kit for the first time in Syria history. Um, and again, Again, I'd sound like a broken record. It's just only positive in my eyes. I agree, definitely. Um, and I think the whole thing around kits being released is such a massive moment for fans. And I think to give that moment to the women's team 
over the men's team to an extent, um, I think he's good. And let's just hope that, you know, things like advertising, etc. let's hope that things like that, um, that probably have improved, but I hope that they'll continue to improve as well. Um, we've talked about a couple of transfer rumours of players. Um, I wanted to talk about one more transfer rumour, and this is allegedly coming from Gazeta della Sport that have speculated that the current Juventus coach, Rita Guarino, could become Italy's next manager, obviously for the national team, and that her replacement could be Leon's former coach, Jean-Luc Vasseur. Alejandro, could you see this happening? It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me because it, w- it would be a normal thing. It, yeah. uh, nor- normally, in Italy, in, in the men's team, we have seen that maybe the coach of Juventus, after being successful, normally he goes to coach the Italian national team. Mm. And maybe I don't I, I, I see that this can also happen in women's football in in the women's side. So after Rita Guarino that she has shown a lot of quality with Juventus in the last seasons, why not she can be the Italy the Italy's next manager and have Leon a coach as and have a oh, sorry Juventus a coach like Jean Luc Basseur. It wouldn't it wouldn't make a, a me strange to be honest. I agree with you. I think it would be um I think it would be a, a really exciting move and to see um you know to, to see Vasseur, I I think that his his departure I guess I can understand why it happened. Do I necessarily agree with it? Did I feel bad for him 100% and I think a position like that um would be brilliant for him and I would be really excited to see, you know, if that does happen. Um but yeah, I mean we've talked about those three big moments from across European football, lots of trophies being won, um, massive, massive congratulations to Chelsea, to Juventus and of course to Barcelona and I am very excited for that Champions League final on the horizon. Um, for our hot topic this week, I thought that we'd talk about some of arguably like the burning questions that I think are being discussed at the moment, especially with the recent changes and growth that we are seeing in the game, especially over the last couple of months. I was reading an article this week on Mary Phillip. She was England's first black international football captain. She's a six-time FA Cup winner. And after she retired in 2008, she went into coaching. And just last year, she became the first female manager in the UK to lead a senior men's team to silverware at any level when she won the London FA Trophy with Peckham. Not quite the FA Cup, but still a massive, massive achievement. Um, and she's spoken about what it's like being a woman coaching a men's team. And she's spoken about how the players um, that she has at Peckham, her gender's never really been an issue. Um, but she talks about opposition and how, you know, sometimes she gets ridiculed by the opposition. They might mistake her for somebody's girlfriend or the physio. Types of insulting things like that. Now, there was talk um, not too long ago about Emma Hayes being offered the job at AFC Wimbledon. Um, And we talked about this um, last uh, on the last podcast about Emma Hayes' response to it to be like, they'd be pretty lucky to have me. You know, I'm at the top of my game. Why would I, no disrespect to Wimbledon, but kind of degrade myself or lower myself, shall we say, to the Wimbledon job because where I am is a lot higher than that. Um, 
There's always talk about women coaching in the men's game. Alejandro, do you think that we will ever actually see this in the Premier League or in the Championship? Uh, why not, really? We have seen, we have the, the example of Corindia Cray. Corindia Cray, he, she also managed a team in, in, in Division 2 in France after she became France Women's National Team head coach. But I think Emma Hayes has the capacity and the quality to train to coach in, in Championship or even Premier League. It's, it, it's, it's the same as in Spain, for example. In Spain, there are many women coaches. I'm saying the name of Maria Pri, that is the most famous mm. one, but uh, that she has been linked, in fact, with, uh, with many teams of, uh, because she will not continue in Levante, probably, and she's been linked with many, many Primera División Femenina women's teams. But I, I, I think also she could, she could take a, a men's team easily and she could make a very nice uh, job over there. In, also, we, in Spain, we, we have another, another curious case of uh, a coach, uh, Milagros Martinez. She's a coach, she was a coach in Spain. She was coaching Fundación Albacete during some seasons before she went to Japan. Well, now she's coaching, she's training in Suzuka in the third tier of the Japanese football uh, league system. And she's performing pr uh, quite well and they are very happy with her job in Japan. Definitely. I think, you know, it's... Um, I agree with you in that case of, you know, wh why not? Um, and I, I wanted to actually just ask you, AJ, as well, because my biggest concern with it happening in England is that, unfortunately, a lot of fans of the men's game are going to, are, to be honest, no disrespect, and I'm not talking about just men, I'm talking about men, women, children, whatever. I fear that the response, the backlash in England wouldn't be great. Would you agree with that? Or do you think I'm just being a little bit hypersensitive? I, Unfortunately. I, oh, oh go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead, AE. Unfortunately, Angelina, I have to agree with you. Um, the... The culture of fans in England is very volatile in terms of backlash, in terms of negativity. Um, and I feel like whoever is, whoever does take a job in the Championship or the Premier League, for example, their head is going to be on a chopping block. As soon as something bad happens, mm. that's when everything is going to turn sour, unfortunately, um, which is unfortunate because if you take the example of emma hayes her ability as a coach is amazing she any team would be lucky to have a coach like emma hayes within their staff um unfortunately if anything did go wrong in as as it often does within management in the men's and the women's game um people would tend to pick out the fact that she is a woman as to why it's gone wrong and I don't think that's fair in any capacity. So, unfortunately, I do have to agree with you in that sense. What were you going to say, Alejandro? Yeah, I was going to say that, uh, unfortunately, you you were right. And may, it's a cultural issue that it repeats also in Spain in, and in many countries. And that even if in the case, for example, we were having a, a, a women's school like, like Emma Hayes, that she's so valid and she has shown that has quality to, to coach any team no no matter the whatever the gender is uh, maybe some of the uh, some of the fans they will uh, start with uh, sexist issues or or 
uh, with and with with and making a a, a wave of a bad of bad comments to her that maybe it can be it it will it's disgusting but it's a cultural thing but really for uh, I will uh, no, no I wouldn't be much happier if, if I see uh, a coach like Emma Hayes coaching teams like uh, as Everton West Brom Albion Barley or what or whatever these elite teams they are in in the Premier League or in in the Championship. Mm, I feel like whenever it happens, because I do feel like we're getting closer and closer to it happening, it would have to be a club that is willing to go to go to bat for whoever the manager is, one hundred percent. And I think the amount of support that would be needed against fans, the media, etc., etc. I think it, it would have to be massive. Um, and I mean, talking about, you know, sexism in the sport in general, etc. AJ, you have recently released your documentary, Throwing the Kitchen Sink. Love the name. Um, and I love the fact that it's the whole kitchen sink because that phrase, throwing the kitchen sink, is actually quite a positive one. But then as women in the industry, you so many times get people saying to you, oh, get back to the kitchen. I know I've had that one so many times, so I really liked the name of it. Um, obviously, your series, it takes a look at some of the biggest talking points in the game. Like I say, sexism, sexuality, broadcasting, representation, professionalization and equal pay. What was your motivation for the documentary? Um, thank you for your kind words, first of all. But um, to answer your question... The motivation behind it was just the fact that um, women's football is in our faces, obviously not as much as we want it to be right now, but it is still on our faces. But there's not a lot of background in there. People's stories aren't being pushed forward. And this is from all types of uh, people within the game. So as the documentary entails, we've interviewed players, we've interviewed coaches, general managers, we've interviewed fans or people who just operate within sports media in general as well just to get the different opinions and stories that you wouldn't usually see um, in like mainstream news because usually it's reporting on the biggest games and the biggest players but there's also little stories that you are forgotten about in the process of all of it as well so it was just to cover the game from a more general perspective and from a more genuine perspective at the same time as well so that was the motivation behind what we put together I mean, it's it's a brilliant um, series. I'm I'm currently working my way through it, and I've found it to be so so insightful. Um, and it is available on YouTube. You know, listeners, I would really encourage you guys to you know take some time and go and and watch each episode because it is really interesting. Um, what AJ would you say is the main takeaway that you want people to take away, basically, uh, from the work that you've done? and these episodes that you've put out? I think the biggest takeaway from the conversations I've had now that it's been completed is um, people always ask me, do I ever feel like women's football will get to the level of men's? Mm. Um, and one, my first answer to that question is, it can't be because it had been banned for 50 years. Um, so women's football at the moment is always 50 years behind. Um so as and a lot of people don't understand that that actually happened. So when they say, "Oh, the money in the men's game, they can never get to that," the men, the men, the FA banned it in the first place mm. because of how popular it was back then. So 
um, once people start to understand the politics that went behind it as well, um, and the fact that there's still players in the game who are semi-professional working a nine to five, as well as training three days a week and then playing a game on Sunday or Saturday, um, and how that can impact their body, their recovery time, and then ultimately their performance on the pitch. Um, I think Leicester this season is a great example of that because the first season they go professional is the first season they get promoted to the WSL. So um, I think that's the biggest takeaway from um, from the documentary uh, that it's going to take time, but they're definitely going towards the right uh, trajectory. I definitely agree with that. I mean, um, once people do, and I've done my own, you know, research when I when I did my degree um, a couple of years ago, and when you realise that it was banned for such a long period of time. Um, it definitely leaves you feeling a type of way. And it, um, and that, that's right what you say, you know, there's always going to be this thing of they're going to be behind because it's not been a level playing field from day dot, really. And I guess seeing all of the changes that are happening, um, specifically in the UK, but across Europe, you know, in general, I think it is really, really encouraging. Um I think more needs to be done. I think that this is the first of many steps. Um, you know, a journey of a million miles starts with one little step. I think you could argue that there have been a few little steps uh, this year, but definitely more to be done. Um, Alejandro, I wanted to get your opinion. Do you feel like some of these issues um, that AJ has highlighted in the documentary, um, issues that we have discussed on the podcast, maybe more specifically relating to the Women's Super League or to women's football in the UK. Do you feel like these issues are happening in Spain at the same level, not as much, maybe worse? Uh, and for, uh, thank God the situation has has advanced, mm. but not, not so far. So these issues, they still happen. And one issue, it happened, in, I, can, I, I have the data, six years ago on the first time Spain participated in a World Cup. Uh, <clears throat> some weeks ago, one football pundit, uh, Dana Ebornat, she's a, a TV host for Sp uh, La Liga Channel in Spain. Uh, she published a book uh, uh, telling the histories of players uh, uh, and how they were treated. And she, she, also, she, she, she wrote the, the story of how the former Spain's national team head coach, Ignacio Quereda, was acting on a misogynistic way with the players of the women's national team. Uh, there is one, 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 one part of the book where Marta Corredera, the actual player of Real Madrid, she's telling, uh, uh, she's telling, and I quote the words, I cannot tell how many times he was coming and he was uh, uh, tying uh, me up my shirt. She was saying me, Remove that piercing that it's it, it can it can infect you and and and, and she was told, and she also told that when she arrived to the to the to the team to the team uh, camp she she needed to remove to uh, to remove the piercing to tell him uh, I don't I'm not taking it so please don't pull me my shirt. Mm. That is one of the episodes that happened in the Spain's women national team six years ago. We are not talking about 20 or 30 years. No, no. It happened six years ago in the first participation of Spain in the World Cup. And it was done by the Spanish national team head coach. I think that just highlights what level 
of yeah, things maybe. that have been happening. And I mean, England um, have had not necessarily the same situation, the same what that story um, entails, but definitely issues regarding sexism and racism with, with England's national team. And these stories are coming out that, um, you know, that have, have happened quite, you know, in recent years, like you say, um, in that I think people thought that because the spotlight wasn't as firmly fixed on women's football, I think that people thought that they could get away with certain things. And maybe now we will see things changing. But yeah, I mean, that story's massive. And I guess it does just highlight that this is not an issue yeah. that's happening and, and solely is, in England. And, and this is only a part because there are worse, worse yeah. players. Really, mm. worse, worse that... I'm not feeling okay to say them here. Of course, yeah. Um, And and that just, it just highlights it, doesn't it? That you just think the amount of things that these players have had to deal with, like what you touched on, AJ, about players that are not completely professional, they have to work a nine-to-five, or they have children to take care of, or they have, you know, they have to drive X amount of miles to get to training and back, and there are so many sacrifices and there are so many things that women have had to put up with. And let's just hope that with more focus and attention on the sport, that maybe things like this will get highlighted more and will get dealt with in the appropriate manner. Another example, if you want, Angelina, you have it in Spain that uh, the the right of the of the women's players to get pregnant wasn't recognized on, of a, on, a, on a collective bargain agreement until last year. Mm-hmm. A, a right to get pregnant that is a fundamental right for every every worker, I will say. Mm. Exactly. And it's just, the more you talk about these things and you the more you hear about them, it is just insane. I mean, we touched on it the other week about the Champions League um, and teams... Um, being able to have more players in the squad because of things like maternity leave and stuff like that. It's just insane. Um, I mean, talking about football across Europe um, and some of these changes that have been happening, um, I read another article and it included an interview with Bayern Munich's Vivian Assayi, who made the move from Bordeaux last year to Germany. Um, And she's spoken about how the standard of women's football is a lot stronger across Europe now. Sides are much closer to each other um, and that the level is getting higher, which I think we have arguably seen with this Champions League final, um, with, you know, the way things have been going in some of the leagues. Um, Alejandro, do you think that with big clubs finally recognising their women's teams and investing appropriately, maybe not enough, but investing in them appropriately, that we are seeing real change now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are we are starting to see some some real change in terms that the players, for example, now they can dedicate fully to football. Uh, before 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 some uh, some years ago, it was it was very common that the players they would uh, they would. Uh, compaginate both both a normal work life from nine to five or from eight to eight to four and then going to train now uh, the clubs they are they are investing uh, on, on 
on on having the players completely dedicated and and completely uh, committed to football. Yeah, well, definitely, and it, it is nice to see that things are getting a lot more competitive. Um, and I think you know, with the arrival of you know Manchester United, Real Madrid, um, the changes that we've seen with the likes of Bayern Munich hopefully we'll be seeing you know Dortmund join sometime soon um I think we definitely are seeing um seeing real change another thing um that I wanted to talk to you guys about I was reading another article about um another player um Janelle Farias again my apologies if I've said her name wrong um a Mexican-American defender um now, she, aside from her role with the uh, Mexican women's national team um, and Club America in Liga MX Femenil, um, she's gained a lot of attention for her activism. Um, she recently called out Carlos Salcedo, who plays for Tigres, and he actually captained, captained Mexico's national team last year in a friendly. Um, so he tweeted about his frustration about seeing a second yellow. He called um, football a game for Barbies. She replied and provided some education on the matter. Alejandro, what did you make of that? Uh, really, I think that uh, that words like her, like words what uh, as uh, as generally did, they are necessary and they are necessary to to make also their, their counterparts of players, their male the male counterparts. To have to have an eye on this on this issue and the and then and then the, and the, and the revolution they need to be done by both sides not only by the women's side but also by the men's side uh, mm. trying to trying to be trying to be the best as they can. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I mean, she's gained a lot of attention for her activism um, and drive to kind of make social change through the sport. Um, AJ, where do you stand on responding to people who kind of have these thoughts? The fact that uh, Salcedo, you know, tweeted this out. Like I say, he's captain Mexico's national team recently. Um, what do you make of this? Because whether they are well-known or just a keyboard warrior, what's your opinion? Because I know from my own experience, you can only kind of educate people that want to be educated, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um and I also feel like sometimes it's it's such a hard situation because having to constantly educate different people can be mentally draining on the person itself and themselves mm. as well. So it's always hard to decide whether when's the right time to educate or when's the right time to not educate because the onus is on the people themselves to educate themselves as well. You can't just expect everything to be explained to you. Um, sometimes you have to take the initiative and and educate yourself on on certain certain things but um personally i feel like accountability rules so i feel like sometimes you no matter who it is you have to call them out essentially because if you allow it to continue it can only get worse kind of thing so mm. i feel like you have to hold people accountable when um when you can because we don't want it to get any worse than it already is and to be honest right now it is so bad Mm. Um, that a lot more people need to be held accountable definitely is this something that you found when you were speaking to um, and interviewing some players that there's kind of this feeling of and not necessarily players but people within the sport in general that you know it gets a little bit tiring having to constantly hold people's feet to the fire and 
educate people and things like that on the sport did you find that people were feeling that type of way 100% like um, you mentioned the players initially that all the players we spoke to are aware of it like they they're not living under rocks mm. they're, they're all on social media or they have someone around them who is on social media who is able to tell them what's going on yeah so it's impossible for them to get away from it and even the people who aren't actually players they're also um, unfortunately targeted as well with it when it comes to sexist remarks or anything of that kind of ilk so um, it's definitely there's something they're aware of and they're trying to do as much as they can to mention or hold people accountable um, and like some of the stories even though all of the stories we couldn't fit into the documentary there is so many stories of sexism and stuff like that that they mentioned which we should be releasing soon um in little snippets and stuff like that so it's definitely something to keep a keep a lookout on 100 percent um now who was your favorite um favorite person to interview oh you're putting me on the spot. i know <laughs> i mean i'm sure everybody was brilliant but was there anyone um, whose stories people should maybe look out for that were particularly touching or? I'd probably say this too. So um, I have to mention Drew Diamond, who is a very uh, popular guest on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what Drew's talk, talked about um, with the creation of her football hub alongside Georgia Golding and Taylor, um, that was really good to see because obviously in the women's football space a lot of people tend to assume that it should be for women only like women journalists women players etc but drew's been able to create something that's literally for women's football regardless of whether you're male or female and the stories he has alongside that's really inspiring um and then on the flip side a personal one for me is probably angara james Mm. uh, redding who's just moved to nc courage um like she's so down to earth so genuine um like just a really great human being as well and she does a lot in terms of global warming and recycling and stuff which i wasn't expecting to hear in the interview either Mm. so it's not just the sexism side and um the progression of women's football that she looks at she also touched on grassroots football and the importance of paying it forward to the younger generation as well as um, she said when she goes on international camp for Wales, she mentions to um, the board about the use of plastic bottles. So why can't they have reusable bottles for each player instead rather than using plastic bottles all the time to cut down on the mm. waste and stuff like that. So those two in particular are the ones who stand out to me. Well, like I say, um, everybody head over to YouTube and watch the documentary because it really is insightful. I think that's given us a nice little snippet um, for what to expect. Um, And yeah, it's just, uh, as we come to the end of the podcast, it's been uh, another great week chatting about some great topics. Obviously, like I say, big congratulations even to Chelsea, to Barcelona, to Juventus. We've still got two more of the big leagues in Europe waiting to be tied up, especially after, of course, Wolfsburg and Bayern Munich did draw in the Bundesliga. So, yeah, still a lot more exciting football to come. And I'm excited for what the rest of the season has got in store.
So that is it for this week's women's football podcast. As always, a big, big thank you to my guests, to Alejandro and AJ for joining me. Like I say, make sure that you guys head to YouTube, check out Throw in the Kitchen Sink, AJ's documentary. And also, if you've got any questions for us, as always, it is podcast at onefootball.com. Don't forget to head to Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, wherever you listen to all your podcasts, really, to hear more from the One Football Podcast.